Our gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, thank you for this time we can spend together now in your word and we pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts would be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Uh, Well, as Vaughan has said, we're we're looking together at the Apostles' Creed, spending spending some time uh, digging into each of the lines of the Apostles' Creed to see the rich truth and the deep roots in the Bible that this ancient summary of the Christian faith has. And today we're thinking, uh, continuing to think about the identity of the the Lord Jesus. Last week we, we talked about the fact that Jesus was crucified, died, was buried, descended to the dead. And now we're thinking about the fact that on the third day he was raised from the dead. He ascended into heaven, is seated at the right hand of the Father and will come from there to judge the living and the dead. That's what we're thinking about today. Uh, If you're anything like me, you would uh, no doubt have the 2014 Grammy Awards, you know, tattooed on your brain. Yeah. Um, uh, Where uh, Taylor Swift was expecting to win Album of the Year. And uh, everyone was expecting Taylor Swift to win Album of the Year, including the cameraman who had kind of her fixed on the camera as Alicia Keys read out the Album of the Year winner. And as she began to say, random access, and Taylor and everyone else in the world thought that she was going to say, red, Taylor started to celebrate, only to be bitterly disappointed. And... uh, Thankfully for Taylor, it was only 28 million people watching at the time on television. Or how about this one? In 1993, the Thanksgiving Day classic between the Miami Dolphins and the Dallas Cowboys, and the Dallas Cowboys' Leon Lett lost the game because he dived on a ball that he should never have touched. He gave the ball to the other team, they kicked a field goal and won. And a very sweet young nine-year-old girl wrote him a letter. Dear Mr. Lett, don't worry. It's not as bad as the time that a guy lost the Super Bowl because he celebrated too early and had the ball taken away from him. What's the kicker? Same guy. Yeah. (laughs) He'd done it twice, right? So whether you're a politician or a sports person, a parent or a pop star... One of the most embarrassing lessons of life is never celebrate too early, right? You want to make sure that the story's finished, that the game's finished, that everything has come to its right conclusion. And I think as Christians we can sometimes celebrate too early in the sense that we can talk about Jesus' death and resurrection and stop there. And we forget the very important and significant truth that the Apostles' Creed reminds us of and that as when you think about it is all through the Scriptures that Jesus not only rose from the dead, that he is living, the crucified one who is now living, but he also ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God. He reigns. He's the living Lord who rose and ascended He's the living Lord who reigns as king over all the world, which also means he's the judge of the living and the dead. The one before all of us, one before whom all of us will give account for our lives. The one who has been declared by God in his resurrection and ascension 
to be the one who will wrap up history, who will bring all things to, to their rightful conclusion. Right? Michael Brown, church warden, dealing with spiders and all kinds of things. Isn't it great? This is why I can go on leave. You're in such good hands. Such good hands. Jesus rose from the dead. He's living. He ascended to the Father. He is reigning. Uh, and so we're, we're thinking about this this morning from a few different places in the Bible, but particularly Acts chapter 2, which I think is a remarkable sermon, and I hope you do too, uh, where the Apostle Peter gives that wonderful explanation to the listening crowd who just 50 days before had seen Jesus executed, explaining to them what has happened, what God is doing in the world through the risen and reigning Jesus. Uh, that he is uh, risen, that he is reigning, he's reigning from heaven, uh, that he will one day come to judge the living and the dead, and that because Jesus is risen and reigning, the promise for you and me and for everyone who is far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself, the promise is not just for the forgiveness of our sins, but the assurance of his abiding presence with us by his Spirit. And the fact that Jesus, who is Lord, lives to intercede for us with the Father, which is a a wonderful thing. Uh, Peter stands up in in front of this big crowd with his amazing sermon. And I just want you to cast your mind back 50 days earlier uh, when Peter had, with you know all kinds of hubris, said to Jesus, there's no way I am going to abandon you. Everyone else might abandon you. I'm with you to the end, even if I have to die. And at the very first uh, crow of the rooster, Peter had abandoned Jesus and denied him three times. I don't know him. I'm too scared to have anything to do with this Jesus. Peter, the coward who had run and hid, who had denied Jesus, 50 days later, stands before this vast group of people in Jerusalem with power, with conviction, with courage to say all of you need to turn back to him because he is the risen and reigning Lord of all. That remarkable transformation is a great apologetic, it's a great historical reason for why we think the resurrection, why we believe the resurrection to be true. What is it that could give this coward who abandoned Jesus that kind of courage and conviction and power? Well, it could only be his encounter with the real risen Jesus. It could only be his empowerment by the spirit whom Jesus had given that allows him to stand up to this crowd and call them to repentance and faith, announcing to them that in the resurrection and ascension of Jesus, in the pouring out of God's Spirit, that the last days have begun. The last days that the prophets looked forward to, the last days that God's people had hoped for, when when God, their God, would come and set the world to rights, where he would end evil and injustice, where he would rescue his people and judge the nations and bring his people back to him. In the, the resurrection and ascension of Jesus, those last days have begun. 
those same last days that we still live in now. The only thing left for God to do is to wrap up history in order to bring all things under Jesus' feet. And Peter says to this crowd, quoting the words of Joel, given what God is doing, given who Jesus is, the thing that everyone needs to hear is that those who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Saved from from an eternity cut off from the, the giver of life. Saved from the just penalty for your sin. Saved from a future that is cut off from all that is good and right and true. That day of judgment when Jesus will return to judge the living and the dead. That'll be a day of accountability. It'll be a day of justice. It's the day that we long for. But it's the day that we want to be found in him in order that we might be saved. And as Peter talks to this crowd about what it means to be saved and uh, what it means to call on the name of the Lord and who this Lord is, it's the Jesus of Nazareth whom God has declared to be the ruler Christ, as Peter explains what it looks like to, to turn to him and to trust in him, it's another remarkable picture of trusting in what God himself has done rather than what we as people can do. Now Peter, as he preaches to this crowd, is full of God's promises full of the promises of what God himself will do for his people in his Messiah, in his King and Saviour, Jesus. Uh, And later on in the Bible, the Apostle Paul will say that all of God's promises, all of these Old Testament promises, long before Jesus' life and death and resurrection, all of them find their fulfilment, their completion, their yes in Jesus. And so a right relationship with God, the hope of sharing in his glory, an eternal future at his right hand filled with eternal pleasures and the forgiveness of sins. It's not a religious project for you to, to undergo, to perform. It's not a ritual that you need to tick the box of uh, every week. Uh, our brother Noel has done us a huge service in um, digitising so many of our church records. And just, uh, I don't know why, I was reading um, the, the rector's report from 1897 this week at the annual vestry meeting. It's great to see that the same things that they were talking about in 1897 are the same things we talk about today. Not just the bills and the property, right, but the ministry of the gospel. And uh, who did I say it was? Noel Goddard. The rector Goddard at the time in 1897 said to the AGM of this church in 1897, I have no patience for ritualism. Right? The expectation that you come to church each Sunday to perform a religious ritual, to tick the box, to to have achieved kind of the, the religious goal so that God thinks that you're great. 
I, like my predecessor, have no patience for ritualism. We're not here because of a ritual, right? We're here to remember and to celebrate and to enjoy the relationship that we can have with our Heavenly Father, our Creator God, our Lord Jesus Christ, because of what He's done for us. Not because anything that we might do in this building. We come with the empty hands of faith to trust in what he has done. Uh, One of the passages I was thinking about this week was Ezekiel 34. You might want to keep a finger in Acts 2 and flick back with me to Ezekiel 34. If you've got a church Bible, it's page 1345. 1345, Ezekiel 34. This is what... uh, Just listen to the way God talks about what he will do because... His leaders, the religious leaders, have failed. Ezekiel 34, verse 10, on page 1345. This is what the Sovereign Lord says, I am against the shepherds of Israel and hold them accountable for my flock. I will remove them from tending the flock so that the shepherds can no longer feed themselves. I will rescue my flock from their mouths and it will no longer be food for them. For this is what the Sovereign Lord says, I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he's with them, so will I look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on a day of clouds and darkness. I will bring them out from the nations and gather them from the countries. I will bring them into their own land. I will pasture them on the mountains of Israel, in the ravines, in all the settlements in the land. I will tend them in a good pasture and the mountain heights of Israel will be their grazing land. They will lie down in good grazing land. They will feed in rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I myself will tend my sheep and have them lie down, declares the Sovereign Lord. I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak, but the sleek and the strong I will destroy. I will shepherd the flock with justice. And in the Lord Jesus, the Good Shepherd, that is what God himself has done to deal with sin and death and to bring his people back to himself that they might lie down in green pastures under his loving rule and his loving care. That is what God has done in the Lord Jesus. Verse 24 God raised, sorry, back in Acts chapter 2, verse 24, God raised this Jesus from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Jesus has defeated sin and he's conquered death for us. Because he lives, we know that we too will live. And because he reigns, we know that we can entrust ourselves to him. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. Have a look at verse 32, back in Acts chapter 2. This is what Peter says about the ascension of the Lord Jesus. God has raised this Jesus to life and we are all witnesses of the fact Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, 
Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Jesus is the risen and reigning Lord of all. He now enjoys that position with God, ruling from heaven. You see that in verse 33? He's exalted to the right hand of God, the position of of authority and rule. And he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and poured out what you now see and hear. Jesus is in the business of ruling with his Father, doing those things that the Lord of heaven does, sending his Spirit, his abiding presence, to be with his people, to give them assurance, to change their hearts, to bring them back to him that they might be kept forever by his powerful spirit. When Jesus ascended into heaven, it's not about him changing altitude, right? It's about him taking that seat of authority and power, that seat that belongs to him because of his death and his resurrection. Now, when my daughter started school she went to um her kindy orientation and she was so excited for it uh and like every young girl who had watched so many disney movies when she heard the word uh that that she was going to school she was so excited and she would say to everyone tomorrow i have my coronation day (laughs) she thought she was becoming queen basically when she started school a coronation day. The, cor- the thing with a coronation day, uh, it's, it's uh, about everyone else seeing that this person is now sitting on the chair, the place of authority and power. And imagine the Queen being uh, enthroned on her coronation day. If someone were to push her out of the way and sit down in the chair first, That doesn't make them queen, right? It's not like a game of musical chairs. It's about publicly acknowledging the status and the position that this person has. And Jesus seated at the right hand of God is a public declaration, a universal acknowledgement of the status and the position that he enjoys as the risen and reigning Lord and Saviour of the world. And there are three things I think that I want us to think about in terms of Jesus seated at the right hand of God as the reigning Lord of all. The first is his preeminence, that he is the in number one position in this universe. Have a look at the screen in Ephesians chapter 1, I think. There it is, yeah. Where the apostles... Paul says that power, the power of of God, is like the working of his mighty strength which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion and every title that can be given, not only in the present age but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. 
Here is a universe, the universal Lord of all, whose status and position and authority and power demands the allegiance of the world. You don't get to vote Jesus in or out, whether you want him to be king or not. He is the universal Lord of all and every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. And on that last day, some will bow the knee and confess him Lord with great joy and thanksgiving in their heart and others will bow their knee and confess with their tongue through gritted teeth. Friends, living in the last days that we live in with Jesus on the throne means it is the time for us to declare to the world, bow your knee to King Jesus in order that with joy and gratitude and thanksgiving you might enter into his kingdom rather than through gritted teeth be cut off from him to be cut off from life forever. Jesus preeminence. Second thing, Jesus being at the Father's right hand means that we have his ongoing, his abiding presence by his spirit. Have a look at the screen again. Uh, Hebrews ch- chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, Let us hold firmly to the faith that we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathise with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence that we might receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. It's really important, isn't it, that Jesus is no longer here? Uh, Often in uh, high school scripture, it's one of the great things that uh, high school students like to say about Jesus. If only he was here now, then maybe I would believe. But the fact that Jesus didn't stay on earth, that he ascended into heaven, is a great and comforting truth for us. Because what it means is that his presence with us is not just limited to those who are physically close to him, but that by his spirit, his power and his presence are available infinitely to all people in all places at all times. Augustine in the 5th century wrote, you ascended from before our eyes and we turned back grieving only to find you in our hearts. Jesus' ascension isn't a moment of grief that we've lost him, that he's gone. It's the point at which he is then able to pour out his spirit, that we might have him, his presence with us by his spirit. Jesus said uh, in John's Gospel, I have to go, it's good for me to go, so that you might have my spirit. Thirdly, the great thing about Jesus' ascension and being seated at God's right hand is his ongoing prayers for you and for me. 
Again, look at the screen. Here's Hebrews chapter 7. Therefore, Jesus is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Such a high priest meets our need, one who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners and exalted above the heavens. What a wonderful thing to know the risen and ascended Lord. Uh, Our friend Pete Orr has written a book based on this verse, Exalted Above the Heavens. Uh, He's preaching at Terry Hills this morning, which is why I can embarrass him by quoting him. Uh, This is what Pete, this is a very good book, you should buy it. Uh, Exalted Above the Heavens, this is what Pete writes. On this verse, he says, It would seem that what believers are continually in need of is help in the face of temptation. The severity of our temptation is highlighted by the repeated warnings to persevere in the faith. As such, Hebrews 7.25 is referring to Jesus praying for us. This prayer seems to be that we would not fall in the face of temptation, but would persevere. As we've seen, there is a now and not yet tension with respect to the salvation of believers. But in this verse, it is Christ's ongoing prayer that undergirds the assurance that we will be saved permanently. It's Christ's ongoing prayer for you and for me that guarantees we will persevere, even in the face of great temptation. Isn't it wonderful to know that Jesus, having died for your sins, being raised to give you eternal life, that he ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand, continually working for your good, praying for your perseverance, cheering you on as your advocate and your friend, speaking of your ultimate future. That is a guaranteed presence at his side forever and ever. There's unsinkable joy in life and in death, knowing that Jesus has ascended into heaven and that he always lives to intercede for you. And Peter concludes his sermon on the day of Pentecost and the people listening to him hear all of who Jesus is, the risen Lord, ascended into heaven, reigning forever, coming back to judge. The Bible tells us that they were cut to the heart. My prayer is that God by his spirit would cut each of us to the heart. That we might bow our knee and confess with our tongue that Jesus is Lord. What shall we do, they said to Peter on that day? Repent and be baptised. Every one of you and you will have the forgiveness of sins the gift of God's spirit and the hope of sharing in his glory. I'm going to pray that each of us would know that this morning. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, 
we thank you so much for the risen and reigning Jesus who will come again to judge the living and the dead, whoever lives to intercede for us at your right hand, whose prayers and intercession continue to call for our perseverance as we trust in him. We pray this morning that you'd cut each of us to the heart, that we might believe in our hearts and confess with our lips that Jesus is exalted above the heavens, the risen and reigning King. We ask it for his sake. Amen.